Yo fam. Hey, before we get into the podcast, I want to ask a small favor. I'm doing a big push uh, with Apple iTunes and Apple Podcasts. I'm trying to get ratings and reviews. And so if you could do me a big favor, if you have an iPhone, it's much easier. Just click five stars. Or if you think we stuck, click one star and then give us a review as to what you think about the podcast. If you don't have an iPhone, it might take a little bit more effort, but I would love it. If you could give us a rating or review on Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And uh, another thing, a lot of you have been listening to the podcast for ages and aren't subscribed. So click the subscribe button so you can get notifications every time we put out an episode. Hey, I love you and thank you. Enjoy the show. Holla. There she is. Miss Larissa Hill. Can you hear it still? Uh, I don't know. We'll see. We're having a little few technical difficulties. But what up, fam? This is Preston, and this is a uh, an actual friend of mine, even though most of the time I lie that I'm talking to a friend. But I've actually known Arissa for more than 25 years, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Um, hi, guys. My name is Arissa. Um what was I going to say about myself? Something I, super interesting, I'm oh sure. Oh, gosh. Okay. I am from Texas. I graduated from Texas A&M, Gigamags. Um, that's right. <laughs> um, I moved to Florida after graduation because my dad had taken um, a retirement job here in Florida. And um, I live in a little town outside of Tampa called Plant City. It's the, um, the winter strawberry capital of the world. So um, I live around a bunch of strawberry fields um, and a lot of farmers. So to be honest with you, it kind of feels like home here in Florida. So, <laughs> isn't, isn't that funny? I actually moved to Columbus, Ohio, specifically because it felt so familiar like home. Mm-hmm. And I was actually talking to someone uh, today, which I had no uh, affiliation with. But I just said, isn't it funny? how we think that where we grew up is so unique until we get out of our hometown and realize, holy crap, this is like, it's just all the same, like repeated, like the same mm-hmm. street, counties, oh, it's just called different. Right. No, I totally agree. Totally, totally. You know, on a on a different note too, though, you know, a lot of people like you and I are kind of the rare ones that actually like leave Texas. So many people that I graduated college from, like they they either go to Houston or Dallas, like very few people like branch out and like leave. You know what I mean? Like I was one of the few. I know um, Bob moved to Florida for a little while. He ended up back in Texas, but I mean, I, I'm, the, I'm one of the few ones that actually like moved and stayed. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think, too, you know, what's funny is I had a this idea in my mind and maybe it was I thought I was so unique. Um, but I remember everybody, you know, te- there's a lot of state pride in Texas. For sure. And so many people are they love the state. They love the culture. Um, and, you know, biasly so it's a great place, but I remember just thinking in my mind, if Texas is so great, how do you know? Cause you never lived anywhere right. else. And then I, my plan was just to go, I didn't have anything against it. I was just like, well, I just want to go live around, you know, uh, some other places and just experience life. And what was funny, the first time I really re- realized that Texas was its own little place mm-hmm. was, 
I went on a study abroad trip to South America. So this is a 15 hour plane trip Uh to South America. And here I am thinking I'm going to be hanging out with all these senoritas, uh, but you don't because they don't want to talk to a dumb white boy. You can't speak Spanish. I can't. I can't Uh, with you. (laughs) (laughs) So, and then, but you end up hanging out with these people from all over the world and all over the United States. And when everyone else answered the question, where are you from? Every single one of them from the U.S. said, I'm from the United, from United States, and I said, I'm from Texas. And that's when I realized, hmm, something different around here. And then I moved to Pennsylvania, and Noah's, I didn't even know what the damn state flag looked mm-hmm. like. So when I moved to uh, Ohio on a whim, mm-hmm. it's back to they, they wear the, they fly the flag, they tattoo the flag on them. They've got Ohio State. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, they're real big. Just just like, yeah. yeah. I actually dated a guy that um, was from Ohio, and he was from Columbus, Ohio, actually. Um, That's the only place in Ohio I have ever been. Um, He was a minor league baseball player here in Florida. This was when I first, first moved down here. Um, So, yeah, I've actually been to Columbus, Ohio. It it snowed, like, however many inches the first day that I landed, (laughs) so – you're like, what? No, it was cool. It was, you know, I mean, you are from where I'm from. So it's a different kind of cold. Like Texas is freeze your ass to the like bone cold, like <laughs> yeah. Colorado, or not Colorado, Ohio. Like when I landed and it was snowing, I was prepared for like the apocalyptic winter because <laughs> that's like what I'm used to, you know? And when I landed, yeah. I was like, it's not even really that cold. Yes, it was snowing and there was snow falling, but it's like a different kind of cold. Yeah, it it is, and and actually, that's one of the reasons I like the um, you know w- we haven't come back down south. Is I quite like the seasons, and it is neat, but I it it is it has not uh, missed uh, the fact that we came out to Columbus on a whim. I never even looked at Ohio, much less I couldn't have pointed out on a map. We visited for five days, put our house on the market, moved, and what's even funnier, Arissa is. I grew up in a, call it middle class, lower middle class neighborhood, a few miles north of Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. And the house that we bought after being here a year is a, what used to be a lower middle class neighborhood, very similar to how I grew up a couple miles north of Ohio State. That's so, so funny. I, moved, I think I'm so unique yeah. and I'm so cool <laughs> yeah. and I'm so That's different so than the people that I was raised around. And yet I move all over the country only to end up in a neighborhood just like the one I grew up in and couldn't be happy. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, we have that con- my my baby daddy. Yes, I have one of those. Um, <laughs> we have that conversation a lot because he's from Plant City where we live. Um, okay. And he's small town, southern boy. Um, and I just swore, you know, when I left Texas, I moved to um, Tampa and I loved the big city. You know, it was so different from college station you know college station is big when there's a lot of college students in town but you know when they leave it's kind of just us high school like resident people and it's not near as busy it's it's more of that small town feel anyways so i moved to tampa you know i'm 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 living the the big life i feel like and then i meet this boy from the little small town country town and um i used to actually he would come into i used to work at the hard rock in tampa the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino, and he would come in, and everybody talks shit about Plant City because Tampa, they're all bougie, and everybody thinks that they're, like, you know, better than. And 
everyone would talk shit about Plant City. They'd be like, oh, yeah, that's the sticks. That's backwoods. You know, everybody lives in a mobile home and is missing their teeth. And I was like, so I didn't know. Me being stupid. Right. He, he came <laughs> to the bar one night, and I was like, oh, you're from Plant City, and you have all your teeth? And he was like, <laughs> he literally looked at me, and he was like, you are a bitch. And I was like... <laughs> Hey, can I get you something to drink? Like it, it was just, it was <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, literally when we started dating, I would tease him. Um, and I, and I told him from the get go, I was like, I will never move to Plant City, dude. Sorry. Like I'm not doing it. Um, right. and then we ended up, how far away is Plant City from Tampa? Uh, 20 minutes. That's not no, no, I mean with no, that's like now. Yeah, no, no, no. It's not far at all. I mean, I, I live in Plant City, but I work in Tampa. So, I mean, I've got a, with traffic, I've got probably a 45 minute commute, which isn't bad. I mean, I'm kind of yeah. used to it or whatever, but no, I told him, I was like, I will never live here. And, you know, we kind of, at this stage, learned to never say never. So For here right. I am. What, so why don't you tell a little bit about your, your story and background, how you grew up? Cause even though we knew each other, we were from different towns. I'm from Brian from college mm-hmm. station and we would run it, We would end up at a lot of the same parties, but for the most part, you know, I, I, we didn't really know each other outside of, you know, run and gun and have a good time. So why don't you talk a little bit about how you grew up and, and part of the, the premise of this entire podcast is to paint, help people understand that not only should counseling therapy support groups like AA and NA, et cetera, should be m- normal, mm-hmm. but also the intricacies of not everybody who struggles with the disease of addiction or mental health or whatever is no teeth from <laughs> strawberry capital with a brown bag. Oh, I can't <laughs> even handle you right now. That's too yeah. funny. Um, but but anyway yeah. just in that sure. premise like how'd you grow up when, when did you ever know when did you know things okay. were different how did you end up getting, getting sober I guess we left that part out that you actually that's part so of the, the reason we reconnected was because you you were uh, sober, sober yeah. and we yep okay. yep so go on why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit about your background all right um well I guess yeah we didn't grow up like young kids together so you don't know a lot of that background but um I am um, Kiowa Indian. I don't even know if you know that. My grandmother, my mother's mother was full-blooded Kiowa Indian. So there's a very strong, um, like, Native American heritage on my mom's side. Um, Mm. And my mother's mother was um, full-blooded Kiowa Indian. And then my grandfather was full-blooded Irish. So there were seven kids of my mom. And they were all half Irish and half Native American. So... Um, we tease now, but it really isn't a joke, you know, that we've got some bad blood in our, in our system. We can drink, you know? (laughs) So, um, to say that I grew up around drugs and alcohol is kind of an understatement. Um, you know, I didn't grow up my, well, I guess I should say this. My dad, my parents divorced when I was real young. That's how, um, I got to college station. We actually were living in Bryan. I have you know that. Um, yeah. Hey, we lived... you, got, you were living in the, on the, uh, on the dark side for a That's right. A we bit. actually lived in, I don't know what it's called now. In Bryan. I don't even know. Like out in the country, like on dirt roads. That's where I grew up on. Like, like I don't even, <laughs> right. I, I could, I could tell you where it is, but I don't know where it is. But anyways, when my parents, my mom and dad divorced, my mom moved into the city of College Station, and that's kind of how I got there. Um, yeah. So um, my dad was a real bad alcoholic. That's why my mom left. So um, okay. my dad went to Vietnam, 
my dad got drafted at 18 into Vietnam and um, had a lot of, what is it, post? Uh, yes, P- there PTSD. you go. Yes, 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 yes. So he had a lot of that. Um, and my dad drank because, I mean, he got drafted. It was funny. My dad told me, he goes, I got drafted when I was 17 and they changed my date on the thing to get me in. And they said, you know, son, what's your, what's your date of birth? And he said, yada, yada, yada. And they said, no, it's not. It's da, 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 da. My dad's like, no, it's blah, blah, blah. And my dad's like, in the, basically the military, like fudged his age a couple of months. So my dad <laughs> went into the military, he got drafted into the military before he was 18 years of age. So he saw some really difficult stuff at a really young age. Um, right. So when he came back, um, he drank very heavily, very, very heavily. Um, and it got to the point that my mom, you know, she left or whatever. So I pretty much grew up with my mom growing up in College Station. And um, we were very close to her side of the family, which is the Native American side. So when we would go visit in Oklahoma, a lot of my family still live on the reservation. Um, a lot of drugs and alcohol. You know, I didn't see, um, I never saw people drink normal. I never saw people have a couple cocktails and put them down. That's never what I saw. Um, I saw mm. drug use to the point where... Um, you know, my aunts and uncles were putting drugs before their kids. Like I, that's the kind of shit I saw, you know what I mean? So I remember right. at a real young age vowing to myself, you know, I'm never going to be like that. I am never, never right. going to be like that. Um, so back when we used to run and gun fast forward, um, at 15, I got, um, a hardship license. Cause my mom, it was just me and my mom and I had to get a job so I could help, you know, help pay, pay the bills. Yeah. And so I was like the cool kid. Cause I had a, a car at 15. So sure. I was the one that started, you know, driving everybody to the keg parties. And, um, you know, my first time drinking, I was 14 or 15. I can't remember. I have an older sister. My mom, got married before my father, um, in California. So I had an older sister that lived in California. And when I went to go visit her, when I was like 13 or 14, that was my first time to drink. And she gave me like Boone's farm or a wine cooler or something. And from the very get go, um, I never, I drank to get drunk. Like, um, mm-hmm. I remember her giving me that and me just saying, okay, how much do I have to drink to get drunk? You know what I mean? Cause, cause that's, yeah. To, to, to feel the way y'all look. Exactly. Like y'all all talk about this is, you know, the best thing in the world. Like I'm trying to get there. You know what I mean? So, so I'm like chasing it. And, um, I remember, you know, getting drunk the first time I didn't, my story wasn't, I got drunk and puked and, you know, none of that. I just remember feeling that fuzzy, like, oh, this is different. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, there were some, um, how do I say this politically correct? There was trauma in my childhood. There were some things that happened to me in my childhood that um, I carried with me my whole life. And I, I stuffed down and I never told anyone and and they were my secrets. You know, everybody kind of has their secrets that they keep in their closet um, and they keep us sick. Well, I I did that and I kept it uh, inside for a long, 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 long time. And what I liked about drinking is, I didn't have to hide anymore. You know what I mean? I could just kind of say, fuck it. And I loved that. Like I loved the checkout boy. Like that's even in early sobriety that I'm, that's what I missed the most was just being able to say F it and check out. You know what I mean? Like. That's what I tell my wife is I don't fan. I mean, sure. I fantasize when I fantasize about mm -hmm. using, 
what I fantasize is that feeling, uh, that sense of mm-hmm. ease and comfort, the lifting, that, that feeling of no responsibility, yep. that feeling of no mm-hmm. worries and no, um, like everything is all good, baby. It's not even necessarily the, the, the substance mm-hmm. itself or even the, 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 uh, the act mm-hmm. of it's boy that just sense of no responsibility sense of ease and comfort that lifting yep. of whatever the weight of the world that didn't even seem like that big of a deal but that's what I right well and about. I was so young you know at 15 I didn't understand what I didn't understand the complexity of all that was going on do you know what I mean like going on inside of me yeah going on inside of it you know chasing that 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 uh, numbing agent like I didn't under you know you don't understand that you just do what you do you know what I mean so, um, yeah. at 15, I started drinking. Like I said, I got the hardship and I was driving everybody. I was a cool kid. And, um, so, you know, <laughs> I ran with people that ran like me. Like, that's why we ran in the same group pressing because like, yeah. I, you know what I mean? If you, if you weren't going to run like me, then you weren't my people. Like you weren't my group. You know what I mean? That's yeah. fine. You just don't run like me. Go run off with the other kids. You know what I mean? I'm going to run with people that run like yeah. me. So, um, I, 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 I drank with people that drank to the extent I did and, and that used to the extent I used. Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah. I think what's interesting about that, and this is universal, just like we were laughing about, you know, once you real, real move out of your hometown and you realize that there's a lot of your hometowns sure. everywhere, it's the same people. And I think this is the insidiousness, not only of the addiction, the mm-hmm. addiction part, but the codependency and the dysfunctional family and all that, um, the universe around the, the, the environment that creates drug addict and alcoholic behavior is it gives you the false impression that everybody drinks and uses the way you use. In other words, you know, I would say things like, what are you talking about, Arissa? Everybody uses and drinks like, what are you talking about, mom? We all, everybody's doing it. Mm -hmm. What are you talking about? And I remember the first experience I ever had that, with that was I was I'd been sober for maybe mm-hmm. two years. I went to a white, uh, like a, a, a white, a black tie affair mm-hmm. with my father. And it was the first time I had ever been in this big, huge room with like a couple thousand people in it. And I realized that over half the room wasn't it's drinking. So funny. And then in yeah. the corner, they had the like the people that my mm-hmm. dad hung out with. And I'm like. You know, and I went and I was uh, because I was sober, I was like, holy crap, when you're Mm -hmm. in the middle of that group that's Mm -hmm. going ham and having a good time, the fun people, when you're in the middle, you think everybody's doing it. But when you're outside of it, you realize, you you know what? Actually, the vast majority of people are not going. Right. Or they don't drink to the capacity that we did. They can have like, you know, I never even that that never that was a an unfathomable thing to me. I couldn't understand that. And then what, like you said, when I got sober and you start like paying attention to everyone, I'm like, dang, there's people that really do come to dinner and have like a beer and they don't, they don't even finish it. Like, that's weird. Like I never even, like you said, like I didn't even know that those people like existed because I didn't surround myself at all with people like that. I think, I think, and, and I want to try to, I'm trying to paint as broad a picture as I absolutely can, because not only does that apply to people that are drinking and using when it says, well, everybody drinks Mm -hmm. and uses like this, but even down to 
you know, everybody has relationships like this. Everybody parents like right. this. Everybody works like this. Everybody treats, you know, and so how easily people can be lulled into this sense that what they're doing is totally normal, even though it's totally dysfunctional and they have no clue. And that's why it's sometimes hard to diagnose. The vast majority of people are functional. They're not, you know, they're not the brown bag alcoholic, right. the needle user, right, right, right. the person that's mm-hmm. in sick divorces. Like they think, oh, well, this right. is just the way it is. And it's just not, it's just not accurate. And what does it take for someone to go, huh, maybe the way I'm living is not. Well, I don't think normal. anyone wants to be like, ooh, I always talk about this in meetings. Nobody skips and jumps and, ooh, yay, I want to join AA today. Like nobody, you know what I mean? Like, nobody, <laughs> nobody wakes that's up true. and is like, ooh, you know, and nobody wants to admit. That's why there's so much denial in, in addiction because nobody wants to admit that their mind and body different than their fellows. You know what I mean? Like, I think it says that in the big book and I am not a big book thumper by no means, but nobody wants to say like, Hey, look at me. I'm different. Like we just all kind of want to fit in or fly under the radar. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, I agree with what you're saying. Um, So you were right. You were running down with people that drank and used. Sure. So, um, graduated high school, um, Ended up dating a guy that went to a and I actually wanted to go to Southwest because you know why? Because remember back in the day? And... I know exactly why. <laughs> Tell everybody else why. Because Southwest was a party school boy. Them people, them, a, no, yeah, them, them people yeah, ran them, hard. That's, that's they ran like, I, so I wanted, that's where I wanted to go because it seemed like the funnest. Um, but yeah. God had a different plan and I ended up dating a guy who um, went to A&M. And um, so I decided to transfer into A&M. Glad I did. Um, so when I graduated, well, let me go back. Um, you know, I partied all through college. I just thought, again, same thing. I'm just doing what everybody else does. I used to work at the Fox and Hound when I was in college. And um, yeah. I was surrounded by alcoholics. And you know what I mean? Like, that's just, if I wasn't partying, I was working at a bar. So it's like, that was just like my life. And I just thought that that was normal. Like everybody that we worked with, we yeah. would get drunk after our shift. Like, that's just what we did. So it was like, it, nothing was like abnormal. Like there wasn't any sense of like, okay, there might be an issue here. Like not even a hint of it. Help me understand how someone can perform at a high level. Cause I'm Good thinking, question. You know, you got you got through school. You had the the ability to go to A and M. You worked. You did all these things. And you know, if it was that bad, you know, some people don't I guess, run at a function yeah, level like, like that. Okay, good question. Right. Um, well, remember how I talked about that childhood trauma? Remember how I talked about that? Okay. Well, yeah. what happened when I was a little girl, and that trauma happened? I it changed who I was. And I lost all of my self-worth at a really, really young age. I felt used. I felt I just didn't have any worth. I didn't feel good about myself. And I felt that the answer to life was a lot of money, a luxury vehicle, as shallow as it sounds, designer bags like that to me was success so I vowed at a very very young age that I was going to do whatever it took to prove to myself that I was somebody so in a sick Mm. way 
that trauma helped fuel me into doing something with my life. Whereas I don't know that I would have done that. I was the only one in my, in my family to graduate college. And I don't know that I would have done that had I not had my previous circumstances. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, like all of that kind of yeah. fuel under my butt to, and my motives were wrong, completely wrong, but yeah, that's what I had to do to make myself feel like I was somebody. So I get asked that a lot. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, um, everybody's story, you know, in, in AA and NA is different. You know, my story is not one of those where, um, you know, I was destitute and I was in a ditch out of a brown paper bag. But, you know, that also kind of hurts people because I always compared myself to those people. And I always said, well, I'm not that bad. Well, I'm not that bad. Well, I'm not that bad. You know, I don't I don't not have a job. Yeah. I don't not have this. I get up and I go to work. I was a very, 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 very functioning alcoholic. Which is misleading yeah. to a lot of people. I think the functioning, I, I've mentioned it a couple of times, functioning yes. keeps a lot of people sick. Success yes. keeps a lot of people sick. Meaning, even if you know that you're, you're doing all this stuff to cover up a low self-worth and you know that what you are doing is abnormal and you're on the verge of maybe going, you know, maybe I need to get some help. And then you go out and crush or you go out and get a big paycheck or someone says, Oh my God, you really got your stuff together. You go, you know what? It's not that right. bad. And you keep no, and that's moving. exactly, I mean, that's my story. That's exactly what happened. So I did that. I graduated college. I moved to Florida. I got a good, I, I was working. Um, I ended up, I ended up at the casino and I made very, very good money. And I always say I made good money. I, w- I would bet you didn't need a college degree to, uh, to no, make that kind of money. No, you didn't. But that. I, at that time, again, remember, I was chasing the dream. I was chasing, yeah, I was chasing all that. And all I saw was that money come in. And, uh, you know, I was able to buy that designer bag. I got a Mercedes. And I just, I just knew that all that was going to make me. You know what I mean? All the while that all yeah. of that was going on. Um, I still had that hole inside of me and I, I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure like, okay, here's the equation. I did a plus B and I'm not getting C, you know what I mean? Like I'm not getting that like success. I made it like, I'm what, what, what did I do wrong? Like what's going on? And by that time, you know, I was still partying hard. I was in the bar scene still. So that's just what we did. Like, it's just what we did. So I never really, thought I mean there were times you know when you would wake up hungover like fuck dude I mean you know I may have an issue you know what I mean but by five o'clock you forget about it and you're already on to yeah. the next gig you know what I mean like you're just kind of already on but yeah. um yeah you know I was able I think because that drive to be somebody is part of the reason why I always kept showing up you know what I mean like I always kept going yeah. to work no matter what because if I didn't then I couldn't get the things that I thought I needed for success so, um, yeah, my first, well, let me kind of go back to this too. My dad, um, my dad's been sober for over 35 years now. So, mm-hmm. so my dad oh, wow. was kind of the first AA book that I had ever seen. He was the first like sober person I had ever seen. But, you know, again, remember how we talked about, like, I wasn't in a ditch. I wasn't in a brown paper bag. Like I always kind of like, I never sure. compare myself to my dad because I was like, my dad went to Vietnam. My dad had PTSD. Like I don't have all those issues. You know what I mean? I'm fine. Um, my Indian yeah. grandmother, my Kiowa grandmother, um, she was a real bad alcoholic. 
Um, she died from alcoholism, but as you know, a lot of alcoholics death never go under. Correct. It didn't say Correct. alcoholism. I'm yes. sure it was cirrhosis, cancer, well, something along those apparently lines. she, you know, the doctor told her, if you don't go drinking, you're going to kill yourself. And she just kept on and she kept on. She ended up having a brain aneurysm. So, um, yep, obviously gotcha. that went down as a brain aneurysm, not the doctor was telling her she was going to kill herself. She didn't stop. But anyways, my, you know, my mom would tell me yeah. stories growing up. Um, you know, she never really talked bad about my dad and, and I commend her for that. Cause my dad, he was an alcoholic. He did, we do shitty things when, when we're in our disease, you know what I mean? And she never really talked bad about my dad. Um, but I, again, I never really compared myself to him cause my situation was nothing like my dad's, but her mother, my Kyra grandmother, um, my mom would tell me stories, you know, my mom was a basketball player and a softball player in high school. And, um, she said that, you know, she, her mom would come to her games drunk and she said she would just want to melt away into the ground. She'd be so embarrassed because she'd be hollering in the, you know, stands yeah. and just making a scene. And, and so again, I, you know, that was my picture of alcoholism, someone coming to a game trashed and slurring or someone that has PTSD that can't handle it. That was my vision of, and I didn't fit any of those categories. You know what I mean? So, sure. um, at 30, I decided, okay, I can't bartend and sling drinks for the rest of my life. Even though I made good money. Remember I told you that equation wasn't working out. So I was like, okay, I need, I need to do something else. People, yeah. places and things. I got to change something else. Maybe that's the issue. So I, um, I yeah. quit bartending at 30. Um, and then there was a guy here in Tampa that was opening up a restaurant and he wanted me to bartend his like cocktail area. And, uh, I didn't fight too hard. You know, I was like, no, no, I don't want to, I don't want to do it too anymore. And of course <laughs> it didn't have to take long. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll do it. So, um, yeah. I didn't make it out of training in his little, like I literally didn't even make it up into the, the restaurant bar opening up because, um, I had, we went out one night, we, you know, after training, we were all training, training, training. We had like a soft opening and then we all went out one night and I just proceeded to do what I do. You know what I mean? And I, to get fucked up and, uh, the, I woke up the next morning and I didn't know where I was. I didn't know where my car was. I didn't know how I had gotten there. I totally blacked out and, um, yeah. I would love to tell you that that's the first time that's ever happened, but it wasn't. So, <laughs> um, but this time was different because uh, I was engaged at the time. And when I got to my phone, um, there were like 35, how, it was an absurd amount of missed calls. And, you know, when I got, finally got in my car and found out where my car was, um, they were looking for me all night, you know, they were like blowing my phone up. Like I hadn't come home. I wasn't answering my phone. So they were calling the hospitals. They were calling the jails. And, um, by the time I got home, my mom was there. My fiance was there. My best friend was there and they were, they were pissed. They were pissed. They were like, you wow. had us like sick to our stomachs. Like this is not normal. This is a problem. Normal people don't drink like this. And I didn't have any answers. You know what I mean? Like I didn't, I didn't have this great, like I knew the gig yeah. was up. Like I, I was busted. Um, so yeah, 
they were like, you need help. So that was my first time in AA. Um, and I, I didn't have any defense. They were right. You know, normal people don't do what I did. I had no defense. So um, that was my first time in AA. I want to say I was, let's see. Hell, I don't even remember. Well, if you're around 30, it was, you're around 30, 31, something no, like that. No, I must have been, it must have been 29. I, I don't know. Anyways, my first trip into AA, um, yeah. you know, I did what was suggested. I got a sponsor. I went to meetings and I did everything I was supposed to do. Um, and then I started dating. I, the engagement had ended and I moved into my own condo. And then Blake, my baby daddy, I had known from the casino. Long story short, he had fixed something on our house. And I had a bunch of his tools. And so I was like, hey, you need to come get all this stuff. Like, I'm not going to have a garage. You know what I mean? So if you want your, like, tools and stuff, you got to come get them. So anyways, we kind of started talking, kind of started dating. Um, and then we got pregnant. And I was just over a year sober when we got pregnant. Um, and you know the drill. Life starts getting good, you know. Life starts getting good. You kind of get your life back together. The pieces kind of start falling into place. And um, I had my son, who is the love of my life. Um, and that is another thing. I, I always knew that I, you know, wanted to be a good mom. You know what I mean? Like, that was kind of one of my aspirations as a little girl. So when my son came, I like 100% threw myself into motherhood. Like I was all about being the best mother that I could be to my child. And I quit going to meetings and I quit calling Mm. my sponsor. And when my son was five months old and I had quit breastfeeding, I had one glass of wine on my back porch. Well, help, help me, help me understand the lead up to the glass of wine, whether it's the thought crossed my mind and I just did it. I planned it. It didn't seem like that big of a deal. Like what was the, cause the other thing in the circles that we run into, we often say that the, the physical act of using or drinking is usually the last step sure. of the relapse. In other words, we've been relapsing for a while and maybe we knew it and maybe we didn't. But um, that's a good that. question too. So Blake's, um, family who we're really close with, um, they, they party. So I, you know, we would have them over for cookouts and they would be drinking and hanging out. And I just started missing it. You know what I mean? Like it was in my face. And whereas before I was working a a pretty decent program, it didn't bother me as much. You know what I mean? Well, I had kind of let that fall to the wayside and, um, you know, we're, we're very family oriented. We have cookouts and family over a lot. We play cards and, um, you know, just being around it and watching them let loose and do the things that I, I didn't, I, I couldn't do anymore. You know, it, it, it was in my face and I was like, I, I missed it. And then, you know, your brain starts playing tricks on you. Another, that's another good thing that you brought up to Blake had said to me, you have to understand. I met Blake when I worked at the casino and I was drinking, right? When we got together, I was sober. Mm -hmm. Then I drank again 
Yeah. Then I got sober again. So he's kind of been with me <laughs> through a lot of it. But um, right. So he ha- he knew me and he met me when I was drinking. And then when we got together, I was sober. So he had made a comment to me one night and he said, I, I probably brought it up like, you know, I kind of miss drinking. And he made the comment to me, I don't really think you're an alcoholic, Arissa. I think that you were young and immature and irresponsible and you did not. And you didn't drink responsibly. Oh. oh, how I wonder how many times that has been the the argument that gets people back yeah. into using. Because I've thought that myself. I mean, I, yeah, I was twenty. Yeah. I was twenty one for a month when I quit, and the amount of times that I've even. I mean, I remember my parents were like they were all real open with me and I kept getting in trouble and they'd be like, Oh, boys will be boys. We used to do it. Let's get them on. And, and, but at one point they're like, I don't get it. Why do you keep getting in trouble? And then I went to, went through the rehab and all that kind of stuff. And I'd tell my parents, I think I'm a drug addict and alcoholic. And they're like, Oh, don't be silly. You're just young and dumb and just cut back. And, and the amount of times people go, don't you think maybe, you know, you've been sober for five years, 10 years. Don't you think you were just young and dumb and you weren't? And the question, right. that, that could be true for some people, but the risk is so high when someone has a disease of addiction or potentially. And I would also argue that normal right. people never want. No, I agree with you. And, and I think, you know, you know, if, if more people knew the like magnitude of what those words mean to somebody that does have an addiction, they maybe wouldn't say those things had they known. You yeah. know what I mean? Like in my situation now, and I'll keep going on with my story and you'll kind of understand. But when he said that to me that day, it was like a fucking green light. I was like, I was like, <laughs> hell yeah. I, I mean, cause that's, the, that. you know, that's like, my, hell that's my yeah. baby daddy. That's a man I love. And, and he's sitting here saying, I don't think you're an alcoholic. I just don't think you drank responsibly. So I was like, you know what? You're right. You're exactly right. So I want to say, honestly, yeah. probably within one or two days from him saying that I went, I went and bought a bottle of wine. Yeah. I would. So, um, yeah. You know, this is also part of the importance of having conversations like this. Cause we have conversation like conversations sure. like this behind closed doors in the rooms of 12 step programs, but normal people need to hear this kind of thing because, because the, it's the understanding. It's the alcoholic and drug addict as Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. The rest of the oh, crew he still doesn't, doesn't understand. understand My, I mean, like I've lived with someone make... who's not an addict right. so, or, or an alcoholic, so he doesn't understand. Yeah. He, he says, he'll say, like, if we go to a birthday party and he has a couple beers. I've said to him before, I don't understand. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, how, how can you have two beers and not finish? He goes, he'll say, finish what? And I'm like. I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah. He goes, I didn't start Dude. anything. And I was like, the fuck you didn't? I'm like, if I started drinking, I'm going to finish. Like, there ain't going to be no. I, ju- I just walked in. Uh, I just walked in on my mother-in-law putting a piece of saran wrap over a half a glass of wine. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. oh, come exactly. on. Finish the exactly. damn glass of wine already. You know, that was yeah. like. We call that alcohol abuse. You're not, you're leaving. Yeah, I just, he don't understand it. And I don't, and we have just come to, I don't understand his mindset and he doesn't understand mine, but he will tell you, he knows you can't drink normally. He, he doesn't, 
<laughs> right. So he's like, I, he's like, I don't thing. understand Can't the intricacies of how your brain works. But he's like, okay, I can tell you one thing. I've seen you drink and I've seen you not drink and you can't drink. Like you don't have the ability to have one or two drinks. And I'm like, nope, I sure don't. So <laughs> anyways, <laughs> right. um, yeah, when he told me that that night, it was just like the floodgates had opened. You know what I mean? And so. Um, I think there's also something to point out there, too, because so many people stay sober for their family or for their spouse, you know, their spouse or their kids. And I am an advocate. I'm one that says, you know, whatever it is that gets you in there and gets you started, I don't give a shit. Mm -hmm. You know, this idea that you've got to want it and you've got to be in it for the right. I don't believe that because I didn't want it when I got sober. You know, so it it developed over time. But I think that's an interesting bit that some people, you know, there's got to be something greater there's got to be a greater sense of purpose if you are to stay right. there's a lot of things that can get you sober right but to stay sober long term you know it's interesting it's, that you, you know, say that because my sponsor story. said to me when i came in the last well this last time um she had asked me the same question you did like what led up to it you know and i was telling her what blake said or whatever and, and um I said, well, you know, when he said that to me, she's like, well, he didn't make you drink. And I'm like, no, he didn't make me drink. I made that decision. You know what I mean? But like he opened the floodgates. That's for sure. Like I made the action. I took the steps and I went out and I got the, you know, whatever. But, you know, as you were just talking about that, you know, I think that is important for the normies to understand, you know, sometimes they, they feel like maybe they're coming from a good place saying, you know, oh, or downplaying it. Oh, you're not that bad or you know? Yeah. Well, I think too, if I'm just making some assumptions, but the lead up to, um, you know, what your husband's saying, uh, having such a impact was when we Mm -hmm. quit, when we quit going to meetings, there's something people go, there's an argument to be made for, you were addicted to this substance and you're gone all the time. And now oh, you're God. gone all the time. Have I had that conversation to too? Yep. Helping those people. Right. So, so touche, there's a point and there's a point in my life where me going yeah. to a meeting every day was a thing. And now I don't, now I go to, you know, a couple yeah. of weeks, but, but there's an argument for that. And that's for you and your sponsor to figure out. But one of the reasons that I am still going mm-hmm. to meetings with 18 years sober is that I go in there and they tell me, they tell me the stories and you tell me how you're thinking and I, and I can finish your sentence. And yep. it reminds me, oh yeah, I still got it. Because when I've been sober for a, a long time, I'm hanging, I'm hanging in different circles. Yep. People are successful. They've calmed down. Things are, yep. and, and I can start thinking I'm normal. And then before you know it, I miss it and I'm going, maybe I am normal. Maybe I was just young, but when I'm hanging out in rooms at least a couple times a week and I'm sponsoring people, there is no question. And so when you said I got pregnant, which means you couldn't drink. And so you wanted to be, now you're focused on being a mother and all this kind of stuff. And you get away from those, from our people. Mm -hmm. And we start thinking maybe we weren't. And you're already thinking that And one person. and, And I would also say too, you don't make me feel a certain right. way. I make me feel a certain way. And then I blame you. That's very, very similar. Like, yes, your husband, your, your uh, uh, boyfriend uh, said it, but you had already been planning in the back of your mind and I miss it. I don't know. 
And then yeah. that was like a little bit like a no, you're point, you're spot I'm, on. Uh, hopefully, I'm not that, misspeaking. Literally, but because from the point he said it, I think it was that yeah. next day or the day the next day that I went and got uh, yeah. a bottle of wine. But you know, it's funny my story. <laughs> yeah. I'm stubborn like a mule. Um, it's funny because I can laugh about it now. But um, I, I went and I got that bottle of wine and I had one glass of wine and damn it, I was going to prove to everyone that I was not an alcoholic. Uh huh. So I did. You could so have one. I told you. I told you I could finish your sentence. And I put it up, and I said, "See." I looked at baby daddy. I said, "See, I I had one glass of wine." So then, right? Exactly. And he goes, See, I told so you. Then the you next, were just so then the next night, I proceed to go back out there and have two glasses of wine again. Because damn it, I'm yeah. going to show you. Um, and right. I always tell my, you know, my people or my sponsees or when I share my story, you know, I work an honest program today. And the honest truth is I may have had one glass and I may have had two, but the honest truth is I wanted to finish the whole fucking bottle. So regardless of what I did, yeah. my intent and my desire was to finish the entire bottle. So yeah. within time. Yeah. I think I think there's another piece of that is, um, you know, I I know mm-hmm. for a fact that I could have a couple right now, but the question is not can I do it right mm-hmm. now. It's where am I six mm-hmm. months from now, one year from now, five years from now? Because that story is different for everybody. Some people, you know, they have a bit and they're off mm-hmm. to the races, and some people yeah. can manage well for a good good while. Um, but it's inevitable that whether it's a day, a month or whatever, I will end up right back, if not worse than where I was, because at the end of the day, I have absolutely no control over my, well, you're a better man than me because you knew that substance. I had to go out and experiment some more. I, I didn't, I didn't know that I had to go well, out I and experiment I, and yeah, find out for myself, on. because even when I came in the first time. You know, I was going to meetings and I was doing the deal and I, you know, I almost felt like the parrot. Hi, Marissa, I'm alcoholic, you know, and I didn't really concede in my innermost self. Am I really an alcoholic? You know, I always questioned that first time in, am I really, am I really, really yeah. an alcoholic? I just, to be honest with you, I just thought I got fucked up one too many times and I got caught. You know what I mean? Because I was able to do it many more times yeah. and not get caught then do it and get caught. You know what I'm saying? Like I, there were many more times that I did it and didn't get caught. So, um, yeah, it, uh, it, 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 I, I didn't, what you said is 100% true, but I had to go, I'm hard headed. And it's like, you don't touch, like they say, don't touch the fire. Well, I'm going to touch it a little bit and get burned or I'm going to put my whole hand in there and get burned to be like, damn, they were right. I probably shouldn't have done that. You know what I mean? So, here I am, you know, started yeah. with the one glass, two glass. Well, then I was, um, you know, my story doesn't look like, like you just said, you know, some people pick up, they pick up right where they left off and they're in a ditch the next day or they're right back in rehab. That's not how my story went. You know, um, I started drinking with my sister-in-law who, um, we started partying together. She drank like I drank. So it just progressively kept getting worse. This time was different mm. because, I wasn't bartending. I wasn't out in the scene anymore. I was at home. So I felt like I wasn't doing anybody any harm. You know, I was at home. I was in my back porch getting drunk. Um, I wasn't hurting anybody. I wasn't, but you know, yeah. I 
was being a terrible example for my child, but, um, how are you and your, uh, uh, boyfriend? Yeah, you, no, 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 we're not married. your baby daddy, we, um, it's your boyfriend. Yeah, we, your, uh, uh, okay. What do you, how are y'all getting along once you start uh, drinking it's funny again? that you asked that. Pretty much I quit drinking this last time because it was like an ultimatum. Like, I'm not going to do this no more. Um, how long did it the take last the, year, the I, 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 mean, I, was I would obviously years. imagine. So I was drinking for three and a half years. And the last year started getting bad. Okay. Because when I would get drunk, I would talk a lot of shit and I'd be nasty as hell. And he was like putting up with it and putting up with it. And finally he was like, Ursa, you're just a mean, ugly drunk, dude. But I'm not like that sober. You know what I mean? So yeah. it was like, what do you mean? Like, it's not, I can't be that bad. Like, that's just not who I am. You know what I mean? Was there like, so, so you had the one, you had the two, you knew in the back of your mind that you really wanted to turn up, but you were just doing it to prove. Then you started mm-hmm. drinking with your, with your sister-in-law. How long did it take before he started going, you know, it's all good, Arissa, you're all good, no big deal, but you, know, you well, are see, drinking a little he bit. Drinks. This is so, like, he this was is real not careful. Just- he was real careful with his words because he drank, you know what I mean? So he didn't really like, he felt he didn't really have the place to say something because he drinks, you know what I mean? He didn't drink alcoholically, but he drinks. So he felt like, yeah. he, you know, I can't tell her how to drink cause I drink. So he didn't say anything for a long time. I mean, I would say for a good two years, we just kind of party, you know what I mean? Like yeah. he didn't say anything. And then the last year, yeah. you know how it yeah. is, the, the, the disease is progressive and it just kept getting like worse and worse. And I didn't give a shit. Like if, if you don't like my drinking and go on, like, I don't give a shit. Like I did not give it. Right. I got to the point selfish. You know yeah. what I mean? I was selfish in my drinking. I didn't give a shit. If you don't like it, then go on. Don't be with me. You know what I mean? Which is. Yeah. And how old I started drinking when Kason was five months old and I quit when he was four. Okay. So three and a half years. Yeah, um, gotcha. but yeah, no, it just, you yeah. know, like I said, my drinking this last time was different. It was at home. I didn't lose my job. I didn't lose my relationship, but the honest truth was it was hanging on by a thread by the time I came back in literally like it was, I was about to lose my family yeah. and my job had found out how I drank and they were, if I hadn't been such a valued employee, they, they would have let me go. They told me that by what um what what how was it with your dad at this point had y'all been friendly or you have you kind of I, been letting you do your you know because i knew my dad was sober i kind of was... we didn't talk about alcohol and i hid it from him like i sure didn't i didn't really drink around him you know my dad lives when yeah. he retired he moved back to arkansas and so my dad really wasn't around a lot so when he would come around i would you know i just tried to respect him and i wouldn't drink yeah. but as soon as he shut the door i was turned up you know what i mean like that's just how i operated yeah how did you do? Did you have any kind of uh, creative substitution uh, uh, strategies as far as using other drugs oh, yeah. or taking shots when nobody was looking? Or what, how was the how was the, uh, I never the managing got and to the hiding? Point where like I was you. hiding alcohol, you know what I mean? I wasn't hiding it around the house or whatever. But um, like if we had people over, I was coming back into the kitchen doing shots with my sister in law. If I, if I didn't feel like I was getting drunk yeah. quick enough, I was going to go keep doing shots. And that's what Blake would say. He'd yeah. say, you were fine. And then all of a sudden you were fucked up. And I'm like, you, you didn't know I was in there taking five inch six shots back to back. You know what I mean? Like he, he, he wasn't really watching 
yeah. the capacity to what I drank. So, I mean, I never hit it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I never, I didn't drink it in the morning. I was never one of those that like drank it in the morning. I didn't have the shakes or anything like that, but my consequences, you know, caught up to me. What ended, what ended this last time um, in Tampa, there's a big um, parade called Gasparilla and it's just a big drunk fest. It's kind of like chili fest back home. You know what I mean? It's just, everyone goes there to get shit faced. Yeah. And um, the owner of my company lives right on the water and has this big party every year. Well, um, the party was over and one of my accounts is another attorney that lives on the water. And so I went over to that account when the parade was over and I honest to God meant I knew I had a son at home. I knew I had responsibilities. You know what I mean? Um, and I, and I, honest to God, man, I was just going to go have yeah. two and go home. That was it. And, um, yeah, I ended up having to be drove home by one of my coworkers. Again, remember I live 30 minutes out of Tampa, you know what I mean? So that the coworker had to drive me 30 minutes yeah. out of town, um, drop my car off. Her boyfriend had to follow. Well, by God's grace, baby daddy was gone that weekend because, um, there was, um, a surprise birthday party down South and he's responsible. He don't like to drink and drive. Fuck that. I didn't care. Um, but anyways, he, he knew he was going to go down there and yeah. you know let loose a little bit. So he was like, I'm just going to stay down there. I don't want to drive. And I was like, okay, what? To me, that was a hall pass. You know what I mean? Like I could get drunk and I wasn't going to hear his mouth. Like I wasn't going to hear him bitching yeah. or talking shit you know what I mean so I kind of took it as a hall pass and yeah. obviously I took it too far because that's what I do um so I had got driven home that night and um I remember leaning over the side of the bed throwing up and I remember looking up and my little boy was sitting there staring at me and that is mm. the shittiest I have ever felt in my whole life and by God's grace, hopefully I never drink again and I never get to that point again because it was the lowest of the low that I had ever mm. felt. Um, the next morning when I woke up, my mom had since then, since all this, she had moved back to Florida. So she was with us. Um, and she knew that I had gotten drunk and thrown up or whatever. So the next morning... You know, the whole, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know, you know the deal. Um, and she said to me that mm. next morning, she said, Arissa, you reminded me of my mom last night. And that fucking hurt, dude. Yes, mm. my Kiowa grandmother, the one that would go to Her the mom, games drunk and making a scene. And when she said that to me, dude, yeah. that hurt. Like, I never, remember, I always had kind of compared myself to my grandmother. And I was always like, I'm not that bad. I was never that bad. And when she said that to me that next morning, I was like, I got to go get help. I got to go back to AA. Yeah. I got to do the deal. Like, I can't. I have, I have a problem. I cannot drink like a normal person. So that was kind of my last, hopefully, yeah. my last trek in, you know. Um, it was kind of weird, you know. I, I had two years the first time. Um, so when I hit two years this last time, I was almost kind of an unsettling feeling because I was like, well, shit, you know, I've never, yeah. 
I've, I've been able to put two years together. Like, am I going to be able to do it? You know what I mean? But I mean, one thing about my experience is, you know, I didn't take y'all's word yeah. for it. Like what you're saying, you know, like I didn't, you're smart to say, you know, Oh, well I'm older and you know, I'm running with people that, you know, were older and maybe I could have a drink. You know, I always remember my dad saying to me when I was younger, he said, Arissa, he said, if I drink again, he said, I wouldn't be put out right away. He goes, but in about a year's time, I'd be right back where I was. And I always remembered him saying that, you know what I mean? Um, and I didn't believe it to be true. So I had to go test the waters and go do some more experiment, experimenting for myself. And I can tell you exactly what will happen for me. It's about three years and about three years. I'll let my guard down mm-hmm. enough to where I don't care anymore. And then I'll, I'll be right back to where I was. Yeah. You know, that's, um, it's so interesting how, you know, everything it's like logically when someone says, how could they do that? I don't understand that someone that's in their right mind would not blow the mortgage on gambling or throw their marriage away, you know, stepping out or, um, you know, go to a work function and turn up when they know they got a, you know, child at home. Nobody in their right mind would would think like that. Yet, every day, people make that decision, and and it's and it's. I'm even painting mm-mm, it as mm-mm. if they have a decision. Mm-hmm. There is no decision there. They already know. Right. They already know what's about to happen. And they actually, that's when we Mm -hmm. talk about being absolutely powerless over the substance, the action, the whatever. And then the other funny thing is, which is what I talk a lot about on here is even once the substances are long gone, we still have the same challenges. The isms. I I find myself, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the isms Mm -hmm. and the, it's the struggle Mm -hmm. at home. How do I talk to my wife? How do I parent my son? How do I? I make like every, make like everything is such an inconvenience and mm-hmm. that's just because I'm in my own little bubble um you know and, and and I get resentful that I have to do more work. I can't freaking stand the shit that it's always my it's always um my uh inability to stay connected spiritually and I go why do I got to do the freaking prayer meditation every day? Why mm-hmm. do I got to go help other people? I get so pissed off about it. And, um, and I fall short so much. Uh, and, and, you know, I still got buddies that go, well, you even it's over that long. Why are you still struggling? Why should I even quit? That's another of my buddies that we're still using. They're like, why should I even quit, man? You're still struggling. I'm going, well, it's, it's an everyday thing, man. It I don't just, struggle. I think struggling is the wrong complex, word. I don't think that we just... struggle. Like struggling with addiction and struggling being sober. And, and I think maybe struggling is the wrong word. You're diving deeper into yourself. And that's a challenge no matter whether you're sober or not. Do you know what I mean? I mean, but I, I just like yeah, what you were just talking about. I just had that conversation with another alcoholic this morning and, and that's exactly what was being said. Like, why do I have to do all this work when they just get to do what the fuck they want to do? And I have had that conversation many of times with my sponsor. Why do I have yeah. to do the right thing? Why do I have to pause and pray when they just get to fly off and say whatever the F they want? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, it's just, you know, I, I can tell you at the end yeah. of the day, when I lay my head down, 
I'm free. Like there's a saying in AA, you know, we're happy, joyous, and free. And I never really kind of understood that. Um, But as time goes on and and as I have a little bit more time sober and I keep trying to work the program, um, you know, the program is, is um, like biblical. It, it comes from the Bible, I am told. And the Bible has, I mean, I'm not a big Bible thumper and I'm not a big religious person either. Yeah. But the values that come out of that are good. Like the, the, the lessons and the values yeah. are good. No matter what you believe in, no matter whether if you believe in spirit, spirituality, yeah. religion, Buddha, it doesn't matter. Like the values and the principles are good. So here we are in sobriety, in sobriety trying to do the right thing. My sponsor tells me all the time, Ursa, well, they don't have a 12-step program. I'm like, well, fuck. So I do. And, I, you know, I don't want to do the right thing sometimes. And the truth is I don't yeah. do the right thing sometimes, even in my relationship. You know what I mean? Like I know the right thing is not to fly off. But do I do it? Hell yeah, I do yeah. it. You know what I mean? And it feels good. And I enjoy that adrenaline rush. But I see that yeah. today. Do you know what I mean? Like I see that and I recognize <laughs> that and I and yeah. I try to to work with that, which is way more than I did when I was drinking, dude. When I was drinking, I didn't give a you know what. I did not care. Yeah. What um so what kind so of, I, are you working um, still? I what kind am of, what in do you PR, do I work for a medical group. I actually got laid off during all of this. Um coronavirus stuff and it's been been interesting so I've been doing a lot of like zoom meetings because I have more free time on my hands um but I uh I'm supposed to go back to work next month but we'll see I don't I don't I'm not holding my breath let's just put it that way so my my boyfriend baby daddy has been working the whole time so we've been okay thank god you know because of that um, but you know, I, I, I feel good. I feel like I'm, I'm three and a half years sober now and I, I feel like I'm in a good spot. Did things get hairy and squirrely sometimes? Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, um, I think I was talking to you about emotional sobriety when I, we had brought it up a while ago. Well, since I brought that up with you, I, um, I, I have started reading a book called emotional sobriety and, uh, <laughs> That bitch mm. signed me up for way more than I was ready to sign up for reading that book. <laughs> right. so. yeah. yeah. You know, what's interesting. And, and I've been, I've said it on almost every damn podcast I've been on, but you should listen to Dak Shepard, the armchair expert podcast with Whitney Cummings. And she's a comedian. Uh, it's not very far back, but she had one of the best, explanations renditions of just the all-encompassing family disease and illness and you know in Al-Anon and and adult Mm -hmm. children of alcoholic and dysfunction they talk quite a bit about emotional sobriety and you know if if AA or NA or whatever uh, addresses when we started drinking and using to, to now, which means, right, you know, they right, go, right, if you, you right. started at 13, then you're like a 13 year old kid, you know, the, the Al-Anon and ACA cover like zero to when you started, which are all the feelings, emotions, and behaviors right. that you can't abstain from. Like we can abstain from drugs and alcohol and emotional sobriety means to me that I am not reacting to life 
out of fear, insecurity, self-worth, mm-hmm. trauma that's trapped that I don't know it's trauma, the, um, the, the, the mess, you know, if you would imagine as much smack as we talk to others, I would imagine sure. that the smack that we talk to ourselves is 10 times worse. It's like, where does that come from? And that, I think that is what many people that mm-hmm. come into the rooms of, of 12 step, particularly around the substance is the, the sole focus in the beginning is the substance. Mm-hmm. Like if we're not using, if we're not drinking, we're winning. And that's true. But at some point it becomes, hang on. Why do why am I still acting like that? If I'm not, dr-? it's like, you know, the realization that I had of how much behavior mm-hmm. I blamed on drinking and using. And then I find myself with long-term sobriety acting out in the same way with absolutely no control with absolutely r- responding yeah, but from you, a place of see you say that and as you're saying that you know, I, you walking know from up a with, totally different perspective i'm looking over at your situation like look at him doing so good you know look at him putting 18 years together and doing the deal and helping other people so you're sitting there beating yourself up, which I totally get because I do the same thing. But you also have to look at all the good that has come from that. You know what I mean? You, you have, you, and you know that. But yeah, I mean, yeah, yes. no, I mean, yeah, I agree. And that's not not to not to discount it because it is good. I just think that it's important. It's important to know that it's a uh, an ever i mean sure. those are the those are the struggles that i talk about in meetings today it's not can i be nice and friendly out at work it's not can i be uh, a valuable member of society it's not uh can i sponsor and give back it i have zero sure. issue being out there performing and performing it in a mm-hmm. humble nice productive way it is how do I talk to myself when nobody's around? Sure. It is how do I act when nobody's looking? When my wife says, "Give me a foot rub," and I and, and I just all I have all these flashbacks of like how how you know, even just mm-hmm. bullshit like how doesn't yeah. she know I'm doing something mm-hmm. or to have to parent right like that's the problems and many times I'm able to whether it's act as if or genuinely say yes or genuinely parent. But there are plenty of times where, where my, the vast majority, majority of my shame and guilt come from is when I mm-hmm. acted like you mm-hmm. said, how your mom said you reminded me of my mother, my, of your grandmother. Like yeah, when I remind myself yeah. of the things I swore I'd never do. And it's not every day and it's not like I'm beating myself up, but I want to paint that picture for people that even if someone doesn't struggle with drugs and alcohol, that there are those things in their life that they have. And I want to maybe open that door a little bit for them to go, shit, I do that too. Maybe I should hire, get a counselor. Maybe I should go to a support group. Cause one thing that I want to ask you about is how the family has kind of, you know, maybe the dysfunction or the, contribution to the family dynamic that you're you obviously have the drug and alcohol addiction but you know we got our people the yin to our yangs our spouses mm-hmm. our family our parents our grandparents right. it's just as dysfunctional oftentimes it don't have the alcohol but anyway that's what i want to paint the picture is is that it's that's why if 
if just stopping right sure and working the steps was the solution you I know it's be interesting no that you're bringing this up you i would have I talk talking about to no another more. alcoholic this morning um who's in early recovery and, and we were <laughs> we were literally having the conversation of you know we have no coping skills you know when we come when we put the drugs and alcohol down we have zero coping skills we don't know how to cope with feelings with life we don't know because we've 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 numbed out and we've checked out if things got hard right like when shit was hard or we didn't like how we felt or we did something wrong and we couldn't handle it what did we do we we checked out Exactly. So, you know, now that we don't have that option and we know that it's not healthy to do that, we're just like you said, we're like infants trying to learn how to handle life, our emotions, other people. You know what I mean? Like we're, we're really just trying to learn how to get through it. Yeah. I think what pisses me off quite a bit is, um, my sponsor used to say all the time, knowledge in itself, mm-hmm. uh, or he'd say awareness in itself is not a solution. And it stemmed from, I would pop off in meetings and go, you know, I, I, I was a real pretty sharer and I could quote the book and I could, you know, get into some solution mm-hmm. and be like, you know, and at least I'm aware of it today. And my sponsor pulled me aside and he, he goes, boy, Awareness ain't no solution, son. You got to do some stuff about it. And so mm-hmm. I've relied mm-hmm. so heavily on knowledge. Like mm-hmm. I know a lot of shit, but when I fall short, when I know better, that is when my shame and guilt feelings come up. And I, you know, it's, and, and then I, I am faced with feeling Mm-hmm. And then I, then I go, well, I don't have mm-hmm. drugs and alcohol. So now how am mm-hmm. I going to avoid my feelings? Well, I might blame my kid. My kid's the reason I feel agitated or I get into Netflix mm-hmm. or I go on a long walk just so I can get out of that. You know, like, and some of these things are good and I'm, I'm not saying mm-hmm. they're bad, but it still surprises me. That with all the life experience and all the knowledge in the world, I'm still powerless over my emotions many times. And I still have to like do some work to not act in a way that is uh, Mm -hmm. dysfunctional and embarrassing in the same shit way that I used to blame on drugs and alcohol. Um, What, um, so what, how how has it been? Has there been any kind of, you know, family piece is always an interesting one because I, mm-hmm. there's so many people out there that are able to function in a way that they're nice, responsible, productive members of society. Sometimes they turn up, sometimes they don't, you know, whatever. But it's not lost in the fact that even when I met my wife, I thought she was a normie only to find out two years later, she, you know, her, her background is riddled with alcoholism and she goes to Al-Anon mm-hmm. for families of, we do couples meetings and stuff like this. It's no wonder that the people I like most, it doesn't take very freaking long to hear their yeah, you're, you're my background. People. <laughs> and I go, no wonder I liked you. You know, I can, that's right. I can, I can, you yeah. can parachute me in mm-hmm. anywhere. And I will sniff you out, even if we ain't in the rooms or even if we're not in the bars, I will sniff you out. And the people that don't, 
have that mm-hmm. that yeah. odor of yep. dysfunction. I think they're yep. boring. There's no connection and be like, nice, nice and move on. You got any perspective or experience in that area and how it's kind of, you know, maybe replicated in your friendships or your family or your work you or know, anything like that? Is there any through lines there? I, don't, I, don't, I hope I answer this correctly. Um, kind of like what you were talking about, the dysfunction. You know, I, I have a, a home group in Brandon, which is in between Tampa and Plant City. And uh, it's a women's group. I fucking hated women. Yeah. For the longest time. And <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was, yeah, uh, well, because yeah. dudes aren't, oh, they I don't, like don't those give I like into emotion. They're not as catty. So I was like, man, I don't want to fucking do no women's meeting. But my sponsor was like, you know, this is a good meeting, blah, 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 yeah. blah. So I just kept going back. And one of the things that I really liked about the women and, and what I try to do when I share or, or you know, talk about addiction is just be as raw as I can. Do you know what I mean? Because to me in the realm of like the rooms, the more raw you are, the more I'm going to relate to you. If you sugarcoat shit and you tell me, Oh, well this, that, and the other, I'm probably not going to be like, Oh yeah. Like when people cry and they get that raw, like I get that. I know that feeling inside. They don't have to say anything. Like I know what they're feeling. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, um, I, Mm. I try to be raw. Like I share things in my story that I don't like talking about. I I mean, I I thought I was going to take some of that shit to the grave with me, but I, when I do share those things that I don't like talking about, women come up to me afterwards and they're like, me too, me too, me too. And I'm like, wow, dude, like this shit is rampant. You know what I mean? Like, no wonder why so many people drink and drug, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying that that's the reason why we do it, but I just feel like the more raw, like I love raw meetings. Like when you tell me your background and you don't sugarcoat it, I'm like, hell yeah. Like I feel more connected with you than I do. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) um, and as far as like the family dynamic getting sober, you know, that was, that was not easy. It, it really wasn't. And I, and to be honest with you, I still struggle with it a little bit. Some today, not near as much, thank God. But, um, you know, I was drinking, uh, my best friend was my sister-in-law. And, um, when we, when I quit drinking, I, I felt like, I felt like I lost my best friend. Do you know what I mean? Cause like she continued to do her thing and I abruptly stopped. Yeah. So, you know, right after I got sober, um, my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law basically came up to me and were like, are you really going to quit? And I was like, I was still on very unshaky ground. Do you know what I mean? Like I had been going to AA and I knew I wanted to, but I still wasn't very stable. I was on very unshakable ground. And I literally, it was like, well, damn, should I really quit? Or should I just say, fuck it and go back and just start drinking with the family again? You know what I mean? Like I really wasn't in a good foundation and they pulled me to the side and they were like, we really don't think that you have a problem. We just think that Blake just blew it out of proportion. And that was hard. That was really hard for me because I was like, literally, I was like one foot in one foot out. Like, what do I do? Do you know what I mean? Like. But then I knew from the last time, like I told you, yeah. Blake was like, I don't think you're really an alcoholic. I knew what happened. That was opening the floodgates and I ran. And so, you know, by God's grace, I yeah. didn't, I didn't, I stayed stopped. 
you know, I, I didn't pick up again, but, and I talked to my sponsor yeah. about it. I shared about it in meetings. And, you know, one thing that I learned is when, when we quit drinking and drugging, we change the dynamic of our family. You know what I mean? It's almost like your family gets tilted on its side, like where it was, you know, straight and everybody was doing their part and yeah. then you quit drinking. It, it, it changes the dynamic of the family. Um, and just kind of like what you were saying earlier, you know, like yeah. it was hard for me. Like they get to fucking, I sit here, watch people in front of me, you know, we vacation with the family a lot and we go to the beaches down here and, um, it was hard. It was real hard. The first couple of times, like I white knuckled it just to get through the long weekends. Did you, do you, well, do I you, had uh, not the first couple of times cause I'm fucking hard headed and I've just, I, I thought I would be fine. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I, I didn't <laughs> want to, and then it just got to the point yeah. where it was just too difficult. And so, yes, I started scouting out meetings. They actually had uh, a really cool meeting on the beach that I loved. And we go to the same, Oh my God, we go to the same um, vacation cool. spot. So now I have this little like honey hole that's not far from where we vacation that I can run off to. And, you know, you know, you know how it is. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. You know, I, I remember going to that beach meeting and being like, man, this shit's hard. Like, I'm not going to lie. I'm with family right now. They're all drinking. I'm the only one not drinking. Like, it's hard. And they all just, like, loved me and opened their arms to me and gave yeah. me their night. You know, I mean, you know how the deal is. It doesn't matter where you go in the world. Like, that's the cool thing about this program is yeah. that they have been where I've been or they've gone before me and can offer, you know, what worked for them. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it can be hard. You know, I, I, I find myself even on vacation now, you know, I'll just kind of yeah. go off with my son, you know, if everybody's drinking and it's getting to me, I'll kind of just go play with my son or, you know, go walk on the beach or, you know, just different tools that I can use to, to get myself out of it. Cause if I stay in my head, I'm screwed. Yeah. You know, you, you point, you, you said a couple interesting things is when you're, when people are like you and let's even give the benefit of the doubt that they may not be alcoholic for real, for real, for real. They just might be heavy drinkers and totally cool. You know, when you say, I think I got a problem that it is hard for those people to not think at least a little bit well if Arissa thinks she has a problem I'm like Arissa does that mean I have a, a re- then then right. I got to convince Arissa you don't have a problem because I don't have a problem it is when someone in your little crew says you know I think I'm an alcoholic or a drug addict everybody in the right. everybody in the circle goes well no you're not because I'm not you know, and that even if that's true, it's so uncomfortable. And that's where that convincing comes, you know, come on back. Oh, you're not really that bad. I mean, it's not really. And yeah. we're also hanging around people that that love chaos. And so to them, they right. honestly believe with all the love in their heart that they're doing the best thing for us. They honestly believe that there's no issue. But, you know rewind three years before Mm -hmm. that you had one glass of wine but you wanted to finish the whole thing that is what people that that is what makes one 
a drug addict or alcoholic. And that's the thing that's very difficult for people to understand. So even though, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it wasn't that man. Maybe he is blown out of proportion, but you know, within your innermost self that you have no control. And the other thing I wanted to point out was the, and I've been on this rant. I think I'm going to mm-hmm. do an, an episode about the value of a support group is mm-hmm. when, when you just mm-hmm. rely on counseling or therapy or whatever, you know, like if we, if, if I, if I went to you, Arissa, and I said, Hey, Arissa, you're fit. You know, I see you, you know, you're working out, you're a personal trainer, you know, give me the prescription to, 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 you know, losing some pounds or whatever. And you go, well, do you want to lose some pounds? Or you want to get healthy? Well, I want to get healthy. And then you go, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to work out five days a week and we're going to, we're going to be mindful about what we eat. We're going to plan our day. We're going to plan our meals so we don't get, you know, back into a corner where we eat some dumb stuff. You know, we're going to set our intention. You know, it is, you're going to give me a prescription for things that I do multiple times a day, day in and day out to lose that weight and change my way of life. And then when people are are dealing with these traumas and these childhood things and drug and alcohol, and they go, you think once Mm -hmm. a week counseling is going to do it for you? You think one, you know, because I can't afford it, I'm going to go twice a month. You think twice a month counseling is going to help you get dig, dig deep down in there. And so that's why I like support groups is you can go in there and go listen to what they said. And I'm actually thinking they might be right. And you tell on yourself and then you hear it out of your mouth and you go, I know I'm not right. And then your girls around you rally around and say, we're with you. And then mm-hmm. you can go on vacation and you actually have a group there. You don't actually... Like, you don't, it, you can't do that with a therapist or a counselor or a hospital. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been to meetings mm-hmm. in that trip. I went to South America. I went to meetings weekly in South America. Couldn't even speak the language in France, in England, mm-hmm. in Hong Kong, in Singapore. Anytime I've ever gone on vacation, particularly with our group of heavy users, like I always have a plan, not because I'm going to grab a drink, but, but I need to, I need other people right. I can hang out with. That's not just my family that are turning up and and, and right. i just think it's so, well, you so know, valuable and, and to people to it's know and interesting that again that, that we're talking about this because i'm realizing at this stage in my sobriety right now that it it honest to god takes a fucking village to keep me sober like it's not just arissa waking up saying prayers yeah. arissa sponsoring people going to meet like it takes a village like it takes me reaching out to other women. It takes women reaching out to me. It takes me sponsoring women. It takes me going to meetings. It takes me continuing to talk about sobriety to keep me sober. It's not one of those ingredients. So it's not, you know, if you're making a cake and you got five ingredients and you miss one, your cake ain't going to turn out right. You know what I'm saying? So like I need every single one of those ingredients to stay sober. And I know that today, like I know that. And I'm so grateful um, you know, yeah. for the village that I do have, I really am. I have a really good sponsor. I've got some good sponsees. I belong to some really good groups that I've gotten to know them. They've gotten to know me. If I don't show up, they're like, Hey, where you been? We miss you. You know what I mean? Same thing with them. I'm like, dude, where you been? I ain't seen you in a minute. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. What, yeah, you uh, keep talking talk about to me this. a little bit about anonymity. You, well, uh, that's um, your thing. So you know, tell me at- be more specific about what it is because <laughs> Okay. So here's the, here's the argument. So I was, when we hear about 
like let's alcoholics yeah. anonymous anonymous anonymity the state of having no name we're all the same in here um and uh we we uh our program is based on attraction rather than promotion that means we don't we don't go out with flags and wave the flag and we don't get on right. interviews mm-hmm. and say hey my name's Preston and I represent alcoholics anonymous right but i think the the something didn't sit right with me mm-hmm. particularly early on i didn't know any different but something didn't sit right with me because i'm going i Mm-hmm. changed my life i found god i everything good in my life has come sure because of this right support group and i'm not and i'm not supposed to tell anybody like i'm not supposed to i, I see i know that when i get in front of a room i can ask everybody in the room to say mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. do you know someone that struggles with mental health raise your hand do you know That's someone right. that struggles That's with true. addiction or alcohol raise right. your, the entire room right. raises their hand well, and i'm not supposed to tell anybody so okay. so that was the so 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 that was the yeah. the, the first thing that was the thing mm-hmm. where i'm like this is weird now i also understand and respect that if you and I go to a meeting and I see you at the grocery mm-hmm. store and you're with your, your husband or ba- baby daddy and whatever, that I don't go, yo, Rissa, what, dude, that ain't right, 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 right. legit. Right. I don't know. I'm breaking your anonymity. That's your, right. you know, I don't know what you're like. I get that. But to, but to what I would do the equivalent of, of hiding just didn't make sense. And so then I got into, um, then I got into the mental health and addiction industry. Mm-hmm. In other words, I work for a mm-hmm. hospital. I do outreach marketing for a hospital. And they would tell me things like, yo, why do you keep saying you're in recovery? You don't need to be saying that. You need the hospital to speak for itself. People don't need to know that mm-hmm. you're sober. And I'm mm-hmm. going, well, I disagree, but maybe there's something there or whatever. Mm-hmm. So every single job that I've ever been in, every with customers, with jobs, with whatever. And I've gotten really, there's a, there's a documentary out there. If you haven't heard of it, it's called the anonymous people. That was the first time that I was able to meld the two. In other words, they, they explained in a way that I could understand why that didn't sit right to me. Um, and I always found a way to say like, even in my sales jobs, I would meet you. Hey, Arissa, what's going on? Blah, 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 blah. Hey, by mm-hmm. the way, Arissa, I've got a lot of experience in mental health and addiction uh, work. So if you know someone that's struggling, you know, I want you to know, Arissa, that that phone number on my card, you can actually, if you know someone struggling, you can actually get right. my number because that's a big passion that I'm. But anyway, let's get back to our business. And so that was my way of telling that person one on one that like, yo, I got experience in this. So if you were someone, you know, or struggling. Yeah. And so. I think now that I work in the field, most people don't know that if you are my wife and you are ready to get sober and we go in and I say, hey, my wife's suicidal and they go, great, you're going to do 45 days of treatment. And we go and I go, babe, it's time. And you go, I'm so grateful. Let's go. That they don't know that the insurance company can call us 12 days in and discharge you. And you go, hold up. I thought I thought we were doing 45 days. 
and they go, yeah, but the insurance. And you call insurance, the insurance is like, well, if they said you needed, we would keep it. And you go back and they go, no, your insurance. So they're trying to discharge you when the doctor is telling you 45 days. Then not to mention when you're in a go to a hospital, are you suicidal enough? When you go to the hospital and say, I'm ready to stop drinking and using, mm-hmm. are you on the right substances? So when this shit happens, Arissa, they send you home. Mm-hmm. And me and you, with our tail between our legs, desperate, we mm-hmm. aren't going to go tell our neighbors. Yeah. If you believe mm-hmm. they just sent us home, you're not going to say shit. You're going to eat it. So this idea that, that we're having mental health rallies, we're having to break the stigma rallies of addiction, and yet... All these people are, are in their yeah. jobs, they're in their neighborhoods, and nobody fucking knows yeah. that they're that they are a good representation. So that's what mm-hmm. I mean by what is the cost of anonymity, number one, aside from, you know, look, if you're whatever, if you're a school teacher, maybe there's situations that I'm not paying, you know, given uh, respect to at the moment because I can't think of them, but Side that, effects. you know, they yeah. may really... Mm-hmm have some detrimental situations here right but my argument is if you're if people in your circles don't know then you are part you are you are you know perpetuating it, the stigma that I, everybody I, says I, we need to, to be real honest with you i haven't really given that a ton of thought because it's just a, kind of a part of our literature you know what i mean anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all of our tradition blah 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 so I, I don't give it a ton of thought, but as you're saying that, yeah. um, <laughs> funny story, my first time into AA, um, I had became friends with this girl and, um, I used to go to this church. It was a non-denominational church and they had like a band and stuff. And so I had invited her to go with me and we get to church and we had ran into a girl I know and. She said, well, how do you know each other? And I didn't even think twice. I just said AA. Like, I didn't even think twice. Um, and when we got in the car, my friend goes, you broke my anonymity. Yeah. And I go, I did what? And she's like, you broke my anonymity. I go, oh, shit. Like, I didn't, I didn't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that was my first lesson of some people don't want it out. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so then I try to be real careful and just more respectful. But as far yeah. as me... Like, I'm kind of like you, like, I don't necessarily now I will say this when I first came in, you know, we're so full of shame because of where our disease had taken us. You know what I mean? Like, I I think that that shame still just kind of sticks with us because I still didn't want a bunch of people knowing in the beginning. You know what I mean? Like, I'll give you an example. The attorney's office that I had gotten wasted at, I didn't tell them, like, they knew I quit drinking after that night. But, but they didn't know like that I, you know, went into the program of AA and that like I had this problem. <laughs> and for a while, I didn't want to tell them because I was embarrassed. And I didn't like as far as like the professional side of things, you know what I mean? Like I just I didn't want to involve it. So they, they don't know. They still don't yep. know. They just know, you know, it's gotten brought up again because yep. one of the girls said, you still don't drink. And I'm like, no. And she said to me, how long are you going to not drink? And I said, well. I'm going to try the forever thing. We'll see how it goes. You know what I mean? Like, but I've never flat out told her that because I don't know how it will affect, affect my profession. Um, as far as like anonymity, you know, back in the early days with Bill yeah. and Bob, they were doctors and lawyers, weren't they? Isn't that what, or uh, Wall Street? Yes. Right. 
Yeah, it was a financial financial advisor, technically in the finance. And, and, and there's a couple of things back then, which is there's not enough of us. If we told, you know, we all have jobs and we're family members, like, and we have families, like if we, if we give our names out, we'll get overrun with people mm-hmm. and we won't be able to work. There was also a, quite a bit back then of shame sure. like if you're a real oh, alcoholic yeah. and, you, I, and would, I think you know you could get ostracized from the community from, you know? like different i think then. it's more of a uh and maybe this is just my perception of it but i think it's more of a um like not a one size fits all if that makes sense like i think some people like like me and you you know what i mean like i in the beginning of my sobriety, I didn't want a bunch of people to know. I even hesitated putting on Facebook the first year that I had gained sobriety. You know what I mean? But, but to my astonishment, the feedback that I got was crazy. Like I was so scared to put that on my Facebook, to put it out in the world. Like, Hey, I'm sober and I've been sober for a year. But the feedback that I got was like, I mean, not only were people proud, but like, People that yeah. I, you know, grew up with were like, yeah, I've been sober for such and such time. And I'm like, I had no idea. You know what I mean? Like, but then when I had gotten that good feedback and I realized that, you know, other people benefited from seeing that, I it, it the sting or the stigma wasn't as much there anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't care anymore. Like, I don't go stand on the rooftops and tell yeah. everyone I'm sober. But if it gets brought up, I have no problem telling someone, yes, I am sober and I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Like, I don't have, I do not have a problem saying that. But I know a lot of people, like, yeah. I have to respect other people in the rooms. You know what I mean? Like, if if John doesn't want me to say anything because he doesn't want his job to know, yeah. it feels like he might get, um, you know, judged. I have to respect John's viewpoint you know what i mean but as far as me and my anonymity i don't i think that's so in in and you are right and the answer is yes and that and i agree and i think Mm -hmm. a lot of times what i try and raise the the reason i raise the question and the reason i love these conversations is because here you are me and you uh having a great conversation. Someone's going to hear this and going to identify with you. And I want you to think about how, what you think about anonymity and about how we move the conversation forward in a responsible and productive way. And I think this is part of the thing, because one of the questions is at what point does your sobriety become a superpower? And what I mean by that is in every job I've had now understand There's teachers, there's police, fire departments, there's military where, you know, if you, there Mm -hmm. can be some real consequences if they find out about some things. I would also argue Mm -hmm. that the vast majority of what people are scared of about being judged never happen. I, I mean, you know, just even just the sense that I had a buddy. And this is fun. This is a, a, a perfect example. I had a guy, we were in a networking group together. We had been in there for a year. He gave me a referral to go, um, to go and sell mm-hmm. carpet. Cause I sold flooring to his, to his parents and we're sitting in the kitchen and they said, Hey, you want some, you know, you want a drink or, you know? And I said, no, I'm allergic. You know, Stupid. I have this weird, <laughs> you know, reaction when I drink, I break out in handcuffs <laughs> and, uh, right. And so 
uh, and they go, oh, you sound mm-hmm. like our son. The guy who I had been friends with and been seeing every yeah. week um, who gave me the refer, he was the reason I was sitting at the table. And they go, yeah, you sound like our son. And I'm like, oh, yeah, how so? And they go, uh, yeah, he doesn't drink. I'm like, well, does he just not drink or does he go to meetings? He goes, oh, hell no. He goes to all kinds of meetings. He's, and I right. text him and I'm like, are you a friend of Bill? Which was our undercover way to say, are you an AA? And he's like, yeah, it's been a, and, and we had known each mm-hmm. other for a year. And at that moment, I said, I will never let that happen again. Mm-hmm. That we are in the same circle seeing right. each other and we don't even know not only that we have that bond, but we, but that group should be grateful to have people that have experience because more than likely there's people in that room that their kids are struggling, their spouses are struggling, and they need to know that they got a resource right there that they can say, hey, Arissa, I know you, you don't drink you know, but, and I know that you, also, you know, like you're different. Can you help me? You know what I mean? Like, I don't want it to be, I don't want it to be left to, to, to chance of like, what, what do you mean you don't drink? When are you going to like even an opportunity to educate that person? Like, yeah, I'm actually not going to drink um, because I'm allergic and I used to do this. But, hey, if you know somebody that's struggling, that's having well, a hard time with drugs this. or alcohol, you has can actually anyone use ever anyway. Go ahead. Hey, let's you know, talk my about sister, work. my brother, my friend, whatever has a problem with alcohol. Do you think you can help them? I OK. When people say that to me. it's too long of a conversation for me to explain to them. I can't get your spouse, your best friend sober. Right. I can't, I can't do it. Am I here? If they want it? Absolutely. Here's my, yes, but if they want it, is that your son? Oh, (laughs) hear that. This is, this is going on the podcast. This is the four-year-old that's wanting to get that wants uh, uh no wants so yeah and away, you know but, like I, i've been uh, like when people go on, hear yeah, a lot yeah, of times it is too that, long you know i'm sober and in a that's what they it's so sweet hold up i love you but oh. I'm, on a, I'm on a call i'm almost done okay i know you know going on the podcast oh we need second? to finish up my little guy too is sweet baby we will yeah well, um, no, I just, yeah, so, yeah like so my thing is, gonna is be a, a lot a of times, time, you know, when, when people hear I'm sober, then that's what they, they want me to get their friends sober. And I'm like, that's not how it works. You know what I mean? So I think the anonymity too, is to maybe cut back on some of that, you know, like you're going to get a bunch of feedback and. Well, yeah, so the, here's the, so I would argue, yes. But what what my goal and intention Mm -hmm. uh, for sharing is I want to open up that conversation Mm -hmm. and I want to be a valuable resource because I am and you are. And so that's a whole different story when someone says, can you get my husband sober? The answer is, well, no, I can't get my husband sober. But I tell you, here's how this works, Sue. Um, mm-hmm. w- w- here's what we're going to do first. Have you ever heard of Al-Anon? Has yours, tell me, has he been to A? I'll tell you what, give them my number, have them call me. Let's talk about it. And, and then, but, but it opens the conversation. And then what it also does, is it allows me to, if we need to have a further conversation, um, which we should is let's talk when we have some time. I'll set aside some time. Let's talk about it. And some people 
they really do just want to go, yo, Rissa, can you get my wife sober? Yeah. And you get to have, you say, well, no, I can't. And you need to go to Al-Anon. But, we, but I would rather have an opportunity. I think that we are being a disservice to society to not bring it up because we don't want to say to someone they got to really want it and, and I can't get your person sober. Like I need to open that conversation up and help connect them with the people where the solution is. It might be counseling. It might be therapy. It might be Al-Anon. It might, but, but how are they going to know mm-hmm. if I don't let them mm-hmm. know that I used to be one way and now I'm another way I don't, and I'm an advocate I don't know the for mental health and recovery. <laughs> and, and they'll tell me they'll t- yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so that's why I bring up these conversations. And on top, I think that the way that we, even going back to um, the ability for mental health hospitals, the power that insurance companies have, the the propensity for um, pharmaceutical companies, kind of determining Mm -hmm. what kind of research is funded at our large government institutions and then what's passed down and what's covered by insurance and not. Yeah. Like we don't change that by having a damn rally. We change that in the hand to hand combat. One person, person of a community talking to another person, in the community, letting people know and understand, by the way, did you know that when people go to, to a hospital yeah. insurance company determines what they what they what's covered not the doctor that you know it's quite possible that if your husband or spouse right. is suicidal but not suicidal enough that they won't be let in and helped it you know like that's where it happens because you better believe Arissa if I get a bad yeah. drink at the hard rock and you're a shitty enough bartender I'm gonna blast you on Facebook but but if that happens around mental health and addiction I'm gonna eat it and all it does is, is perpetuates how long it takes to make the change that we really need to change, which is if my wife, my husband or myself need some help, it's covered and we're going to do everything. You're not it doesn't right. you know, the insurance company is not going to determine how long you stay. And, and, and the, 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 the last thing I'll say about it is at what point is your recovery a superpower? And you better freaking believe that your employer your community, your the your friendship, <laughs> uh, your friends, your neighborhood, even though you live in Redneckville, uh, is is you are an absolute asset to right. that community. It's just the community doesn't necessarily know it until they need it, you know. And and that's where that, you know, that's and again, Arissa, you see the, the way that I break my anonymity. Is I don't say, hey, nice to meet you. I'm a member of mm-hmm. Alcoholics Anonymous and I work the 12 steps and I have a higher power now in my life. I don't do that. It is a well-crafted one or two lines in passing that I'm like in, in, in one of the books that people read. It says, you know, to be a fisher of men. Right. I'm throwing the line out there and I say, hey, by the way. If you know someone struggling, mental health and addiction, my family has a background there. Something I'm passionate about. I'd love to be able to help them. Let I want you to know you can give out my number anyway. Mm-hmm. Let's get back to business with strawberries and whatever. And then they'll come back to me and say, mm-hmm. they might go, oh, that's yeah. weird. I don't know why she said that, but whatever. Nothing may ever land. But they also might go, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. Or, 
three months later, they go, hey, remember that thing you told me, which I didn't understand? I actually understand now because my neighbor just overdosed and needs some help. Like, how else are we going to move the conversation forward and offer ourselves up? And then once they ask us, now we can go, mm-hmm. well, here's a couple of options. We got the family groups or Al-Anon. That's for the family. Mm-hmm. This is for, a- oh, it's mental health stuff. Well, here's what we're going to do first. Here's the first couple steps. And I want you to yeah. know you're not alone because I used yeah. to be like that. No. So don't feel like you're alone. Let me I, get I you mean, in my I circle. I agree with you. I just, I, you see what I'm saying? I don't know the Like, it's bigger that. than that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't. I, I think, yeah, you know, the big book and the, and the 12 steps and everything and the, and the, and the uh, 12 traditions, I think that that was written a long time ago, you know what I mean? And it has worked. So I think that people are kind of looking at it like our community look at it like if it's not broke, don't fix it. You know what I mean? Like if it's worked this long, like let's don't try to fix it. You know what yeah. I mean? I think that that's kind of how it's. Or the same thing, which is like, you know, yeah, it's like if and it's not a thing until it's a thing. And so we typically don't talk about it. And I think one of the reasons why I like talking about it is because mm-hmm. I feel like the vast majority of people misinterpret what the big book says. And I also think that the biggest things that people are scared of, which means if if you get up on TV and you say yeah. I'm a member of AA and then you go rob a bank, they go up. Well, AA must not work. And I say that's as, or. or if you say I'm a member of AA and look how great it is and you go drink, they go, well, AA doesn't work. That's as preposterous as saying you lost 10 pounds and then you gave it, gave it back and you go, oh, it must be the treadmill's fault. Or someone that is a, that is a religious person that gets a divorce, they go, oh, right. well, all religion, you know, Christianity must be crap. That's not true. You know, it's, right. so it's, it's the diet and the treadmill does work. Arissa just didn't do it. Or the, 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 the book does work, but they, it didn't work for them. Well, that's fine. And, and so I think that it's just a lot of people, because of their misinterpretation of, yeah. pro, of anonymity, meaning we should be a secret society and that uh, we shouldn't talk about yeah. it, that I think that it's a, there's a high cost for our community for that. And I can get, you know, that's the insurance and all that shit is, is the greater, the bigger picture of, in our own little communities, you're like, well, you know, I tell people, but what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is, you know, people are struggling and we all know we need to do something. And I just think that I just think that the thing that that people um, that have found a solution are absolute assets to people that are desperate. And I'm talking the family, the husbands, right. the wives the, that have someone in their family that they're too embarrassed right. and ashamed to say they got a they, they, they don't know who to turn to and they're, they're, they're suffering in silence and they have no clue that Arissa, yeah. that girl that we run into that we love so much actually is sitting on a solution to just direct me, not save my family, just to direct me. That's, that's, yeah. the, that's no, the hand-to-hand I mean, combat I, that I'm talking about. I wish. So that. So what, what I hope, Arissa, mm-hmm. is that those deep sighs means I'm going to go think about this and I'm going to, uh, you know, start to encourage people to strategically uh, well, I'm, break I'm their in, anonymity in, so we can so be superpowers all together. That's what we need to do. I'm in for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's what's up.
That's what's up. Oh. Well, hey, I'm going to let you go because you're yes, right. My, my four-year-old you. keeps staring at me, and I know you got to go. But I'll tell you what, I've, I've loved this conversation. I'm really grateful. Um, and then this is another thing is who would have, yeah. if it wasn't yeah. for us breaking our anonymity, we wouldn't go, oh, you're in a club. Yes, me too. love me you too. too. Talk Let's to talk. You soon. So there you go. It's just Bye. another example. But, hey, I love you. Hey, you guys, thanks for listening to the episode. And one last thing, we actually have a Facebook community. It's called the High Cost of Anonymity Podcast Facebook group. So if you'd love to get uh, notifications, keep a tab as to what we're doing and join the conversation, we'd love you to join our Facebook community, the High Cost of Anonymity Facebook group. Love you. See you soon.